Hello and welcome to another episode of our Brothers Creed podcast where we talk about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We are the Thomas Brothers and I'm Jared. And I'm Ethan. Today we have an awesome episode. We're going to be talking about famous con men and their schemes. That's right. right? We're going to be talking about uh, some people in history that are, are famous for, for being con men, but also uh, what they did. Uh, who they were, how we can maybe avoid being conned in our life today. Yep. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about a lot of different types of schemes. There's, there's, there's people out there that, yeah, we could talk for, we could probably talk for four hours about this. There's so many interesting schemes and cons, and like in this new modern world, we're saturated with this kind of stuff. So, yeah. can you imagine if people put all the effort that they put into coming up with these cons into like something good? Yeah. The world would be a better place. It would be a better place, you know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's do it. Spartans, what is your profession? Any man who must say I am the king is no true king. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that make me a nightmare. If I can change and you can change, everybody can change. Let us all unite! Let us fight for a new world, a decent world. All right. So, uh, just to start off the top, I want to what we're get, we're going to share some different types of schemes. We're going to share some different con men. So, the word con man. You know what that means? You know what the the con in that means? No. Confidence. Conf- oh, really? A confidence man. I always thought maybe it was like contradictory or like... No, so con or con, you, like you could say pro and con, like that's why people might think about that, but really what's a confidence man? Someone who has such confidence that they exude and such charisma that you believe them. And they're like, yeah, of course my the IRS is auditing me and I need to send Apple gift cards. <laughs> <laughs> of of course a prince from from uh, Nigeria. <laughs> Nigeria has $2 million in diamonds that all I need to do is pay him $1,000 to ship them. Yeah. You know what's funny about this is I literally had someone, like both Shanna and I today, had some random number text both of us and it said, hey, I had a really fun time last night. And then like, and then they sent a picture of some girl's like face and and was it the same number? Uh, I don't know if it was the same number, but we were both we both messaged you. So Shannon messaged me first, and she's like, "This is hilarious." And then I was like, "Yeah, that is hilarious." And uh, then it happened to me later that same day, and uh, I was like, "Who is this?" I said, "Hey, I had so much fun last night. Uh, let's do that again." And I was like, "Who is this?" And and then she had the picture, and she was like, "Oh, don't you remember me?" And I was like, "I was just messing." I was like, "Oh yeah, I do remember me. I do remember you." And then she's like, do you remember this? And she sends another picture, which was not <laughs> the kind of picture that I wanted to receive. And I was like, oh, geez. And so I had to, I was just like, don't ever text me again. I deleted the whole message. But and, oh, what she said, oh, send me a nude picture of yourself. That's what the guys, that's whoever this number was. And I was like, yeah, so you can blackmail yeah, me? Yeah, so I can blackmail you yeah. to give me money. Dude. And so I'm like, going to send this to your employer if you don't uh, give me a yeah exactly or I'm going to post this on your Facebook or I'm going to post this on your Instagram or, or your LinkedIn or something mm-hmm. like that you know I mean uh, and then just last week I just had someone call me say dad dad is that you oh son is that you yeah, that, that's, that's one of the scams I'm going to talk about it sounded more like dad is that you <laughs> that's what it sounded like. I was like don't ever call me again <laughs> you're like oh yes I do I have Thank a certain, you come again. Yeah, I have a certain specific <laughs> set of skills, and I will hunt you down. 
Um, so there's tons of this. Anybody who's alive right now probably has been attempted to be scammed at one point in their life. Uh, I was just looking at a few notes here. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission revealed that consumers have reported losing more than $3.3 billion to fraud in 2020. And that's actually up massively from the $1.8 billion uh, taken in fraud in 2019. So everybody's at their home. You know, hey, you know, you want coronavirus? Uh, you, you, there's a great investment opportunity. Go send your money to me in, you know, gift cards. You're like, oh, why are the money, you know, or send it in cryptocurrency? I think cryptocurrency allows this, uh, will allow more of this uh, extortion type of stuff. So it's harder to trace. Yeah. And so uh, 1.2 billion lost due to imposter scams. And 246 million reported in losses from uh, consumers, so uh, crazy losses. And and there's such a wide variety of, of, of scams and cons, and we're going to talk about some of them today. Uh, why don't you start us off, Ethan? Why don't you share? Well, we have a couple different short little schemes that con men try to pull. Oh, let me ask you a question first. Okay, who's your favorite con man in the movies? There's so oh, many movies geez. with con men in them. I know. Um. I don't, I don't even know. I, didn't, I think I, I was thinking about Sawyer from Lost. Oh yeah, he's a good comment. He's a good comment, and he does the long con, and then he does the oil oil rig con. Yeah, I'm trying to think of movies, and uh, let's see, Wolf of Wall Street. That was basically a con, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, the Boiler Room. That was a con. Uh, you probably haven't seen that's a little bit older no. movie. Um, uh, there's a bunch of. Uh, well, obviously, uh, catch me if you can. You're, I think you're going to talk about that. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that one. And then, uh, yeah, interesting. So I had uh, this is something that everyone will experience in their life to some extent or the other. And you know, this uh, I'll share a personal experience. This actually wasn't on my list, but I'll share a personal experience. Right. So we. Um, we had just moved into an apartment. This was years ago. We just moved into an apartment and, um, you know, we had the master bedroom and then we had our, you know, our bed and everything, but we wanted a, uh, we were setting up a guest bedroom and we're getting a queen. Actually we had a, uh, it was a, a full bed, was a full size bed in there. Um, and we went on Craigslist and I was looking for, uh, you know, mattresses. Sometimes you can get, you know, lightly used or, um, you know, store reject mattresses or whatever else. And, um, and we, I found this guy on, uh, Craigslist that had a mattress and a bed frame, a full size mattress and bed frame. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. You know, it looked all legit and everything else. And, and in the packaging, it was like in a, in a nice bag. And, and I was like, oh, okay, well, it looks pretty legit and everything else. Well, I, I end up, uh, it was fishy. It was fishy as soon as I started communicating with this guy. I started communicating with him, and he was like, "Oh yeah, well, you know, I gotta get my, gotta get a truck." And then he's like, "Well, but I can drop it off at your house. I can drop it off at your house." And it was gonna be like seventy-five bucks. I mean, it wasn't like a lot. And he was like, "Oh, I can drop it off. I can drop it off." And um, I was like, "Oh, okay, all right." He's like, I, I, "I live close to you. I live close to you. I'll just drop it off." And so it, he ends up delaying one day when he was supposed to come it off. He's, like, "I'll do it tomorrow." And so then he came the next day. And it was dark whenever he came, and he was like in a rush, and so he kind of brought it in and just kind of put it on the ground, and and it was in this bag, and he was like, oh, okay, or you know, I gotta go, I gotta go, blah blah blah, and 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 uh, I was like, okay, you know, I looked at it real quick, I kind of checked it out, and then I was like, okay, and he's like, I gotta go, 
And so I was like, okay, whatever. And I just gave him the 75 bucks and then he left and he left and it was, uh, I, I took the mattress out of the bag and it was like all wet on one side, like the, on the underside of the mattress, it was like all wet. Like, I don't know if it'd been sitting in the back of the tray. It wasn't super dirty. It was clean, but it was, I don't know if it's sitting in the back. So it was all wet and it wasn't even a full size mattress. It was a queen size mattress. And it wasn't like a pillow top. Like he said, it was just a foam pad. And dude, he completely duped me. And I was just like, dude, that's a bad feeling. Yeah. I literally was like, I hate that feeling. I was like, even though it was only seventy five bucks. I mean, at that time, like, so I feel a thousand dollars worth of shame right at now. That, <laughs> at that time, seventy five dollars was like a thousand dollars. But it was just like, man, I feel terrible. Like just pit in your stomach. Yeah, terrible feeling. Yeah, and yeah. So I don't know, pretty, pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. One time I was in Chinatown uh, when I went to New York once, and uh, some guy was like, "Oh, this, this." He was like, "Oh, buy this, this cologne," and I was like, "Oh, this is like a good cologne, and it's cheap," and the stuff he sprayed. Smelled pretty good, <laughs> so I bought this like it was like fifteen bucks. Bought this thing, got it home, and it smelled like pee. It's so, like straight up pee, man. Like peed in a bottle. And I was like, dude, this is not <laughs> what he sprayed on me, man. I was like, a note to self: never buy anything in Chinatown. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, especially there's crazy scams that happen uh, internationally. When people travel uh, internationally. Like, I was watching a couple things, and there's one. It was in like uh, a guy was in. Indonesia or, or no, actually it was I think it was like India or Pakistan or something like that. And basically the 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 scam was that the the streets were just massively crowded and there was it was a two person scam and one guy would pick up a bunch of dog crap and he would like make like a funnel out of a, a newspaper, stuff the dog crack in dog crap into a fun the funnel and it was almost like a a, a cake like an icing piper right oh, so you like squeeze the top of it and it all squirts out well what he would do is in the big crowd he would pick out a foreigner an american or whatever else a white person and would in the big crowd would come up behind him and would squeeze that and it would shoot like the the poop all over their shoe and then whenever the person noticed it, they, they they just think that they stepped in 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 dog crap, and so the person would follow them until they noticed and be like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, you 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 know you stepped in something, uh, you know. Oh, come with me, come with me, my friend. He can clean your shoes," and um, and then uh, the, the the partner scam artist he comes out of the woodwork and says oh i can clean your shoes whatever and so they kind of take you into a little alley and they start cleaning your shoes and he cleans it up he just wipes the crap off that the other guy put on yeah and then he says uh that's going to be like something absurd like a hundred dollars yeah yeah or something like that and then they're and then you're like no i'm not going to pay you a hundred dollars for that and they're like you have to pay us you know i did a service for you you have to pay us we're going to call the and they basically they just strong arm you into giving them as much money as like they threaten you giving them as much money as you can. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally. Just like what the heck? See, let me let me talk about the one this this is exactly the same thing. So that's called a clip joint scam. Okay. Now, the one that I had notes on here is a, it's called the Beijing Tea. Okay. Sounds like a band. <laughs> a, a a drag racing band. <laughs> uh so the Beijing Tea scam is a famous variation of the clip joint scam practiced in in and around Beijing and some of the large Chinese cities. So the artist, usually a female, working in pairs, will approach a tourist and try to make friends. After chatting, they will suggest a trip to the tea cer- to see a tea ceremony. Claiming they have never been to a one before, the tourist is never sh- 
shown a menu, but assumes that it, this is how things are done in China. After the ceremony, the bill is presented to the tourist, charging upwards of $100 per head. The artist will then hand over their bill, uh, so the scammer, the girl will hand over their bill, and the tourists are obliged, obligated to basically follow suit. Uh, and so the kind of similar to yours, yeah. but like, it's like, well, if you don't, you know, so in this case, the the girl is paying over two. So it's like, well, this is how much it cost here. So it's like more of a confidence than a more of like it's less of a, a total scam, because you're like, well, she's paying the same, I guess. You know, she's a local, she knows. But like with yours, it's it's kind of just like, well, if you don't do this, I'm gonna call the cops. Yeah, and we did that once we were in Mexico and we went to a restaurant and they freaking charged us so much money. We we got like the the most basic. I wanted to go get something like local. So we went to like a random place that no white person has ever been to in the history of Mexico. It was like the most dumpiest place. And uh, they charged us like so much, man. And I was like, this is a total ripoff. And like the couple the night before, they're like, yeah, they were charging us like $10 per bottle of water. And they just kept bringing them out, kept bringing them out. Yeah. I had a guy in Chile, uh, a taxi driver. We lived like maybe 10 minutes from the bus station. And we were, uh, we got in a, a late bus. It was like, two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and there's like a whole row of taxi drivers just sitting outside of the bus station just waiting for people and a taxi ride typically was like it was like you know 250 or three bucks a person for that ta- for that taxi ride mm-hmm. well we figured it was like in the you know it was, it was the middle of the night so it was going to be a little bit later and so maybe a little bit more um and so we got in, and we were expecting, you know, maybe like five, six dollars a person. Well, we got in and we put our bags in the back of in the trunk. We got in the car, ran the taxi, and the guy took us out to our uh, to to the house that we were at. And we got out, and he was like, "That's going to be what was the equivalent in Chilean pesos." He's like, "That's going to be forty dollars a person." Oh my god! And we were like, "No, it was me and another white guy, and uh, we were missionaries." And uh, he, he was like, "It's going to be forty bucks a person." We we're like, "No." I was like, I don't even have $40 on me. And he goes, well, I'm not opening the trunk to give you your bags until you pay me $40 each. And we were like, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, dude. I was like, I don't have, I have, (laughs) I had the equivalent of like 20 bucks on me. Yeah. And like literally all my bags, everything that I owned was in the trunk. And he was like, I'm not opening the trunk until you give me this money. And then we were just like, we were so mad at him. But we ended up paying him basically all the money we had, which ended up being like 50 bucks. Instead Jeez. of the eighty that he wanted, but yeah, that's freaking people, man. Extortion. Well, that, that that's not really con- that, that, that is kind of like, like extortion. A, yeah, extortion. It's, not, it's not trickery. It's yeah. just like yeah. But there's another one that uh, in uh, where was I think it's uh, somewhere in in um, I don't know Central America or somewhere. But they, these guys at these major tourist places, they'll go around and they have these bracelets. And they'll walk up to tourists and be like, oh, you're so handsome or you're so pretty or whatever. And they'll say, let me see your hand. And and they'll start tying like a bracelet on your wrist. And it's like a little, you know, thread bracelet or whatever. And they'll tie it on your wrist. And, and yeah. you, you, even if you're like, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. They're like, oh, it's our country. It's our tradition, right? And they tie it on. They'll tie it in like this triple double knot. And they'll, just be like, they'll cinch it down so you can't take it off unless you cut it off. Yeah. And then they'll be like, once they tie it, they'll be like, oh, okay, now you got to pay me for it. Yeah. And you're like, I said, no, I didn't want it. And they're like, oh, well, and you're like, you know, you can cut it off of me or you can, and they're like, no, no, you know, you can't get it off. And they're like, and they'll say, you know, and they'll say, okay, well, you need to give it back to me then. And you can't get it off. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, well, then you need to pay me or you're stealing. And it's like, dude. Yeah. You almost want to be like, 
yeah, yeah, just take it back from me. Try to take it from me. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But uh, th- there's so many, like this This other one I have, it's called The Rip Deal. And this is kind of an interesting one. So The Rip Deal is a uh, a swindle, very popular in Europe. And is essentially, they also call it, it's kind of like a pigeon drop, uh, a confidence trick. And I like these because they're all confidence tricks. Uh, and I, had, t- I had researched the pigeon drop too. It's oh, an yeah? interesting one, yeah. So in the typical variation... In this typical variation, scammers will target, say, a jeweler, uh, and I like this one because it's kind of a business one, and offer to buy some substantial amount of his you know, inventory uh, at a large markup, provided he performs some type of under-the-table cash deal, originally exchanging Swiss francs for euros. So it's like, hey, if you do this, I'll buy this much jewelry from you, $10,000, I'll buy you know, $300 worth of jewelry from you under the table if we don't, t- you know, and the guy's like, well, I'll... I don't have to pay taxes on this. Maybe this is a good deal. So it's already kind of venturing that realm of illegal. This exchange goes through flawlessly at a considerable profit for the mark. So it has to make the mark money. Uh, Sometime later, the scammers approach the mark with a similar proposition, but for a larger amount of money and thus a larger return from the mark. His confidence and and greed inspired by a previous deal, the merchant agrees only to have his money and goods taken by sleight of hand or violence. Uh, at the point of exchange, uh, this scam was depicted in the movie, you know, Matchstick Men. So uh, the, the same term is used to describe crime where a vendor, especially a drug dealer, is killed uh, to avoid paying for the goods. So it's kind of like, but I like this one because it was kind of like, oh, hey, we've done business once before. Now let's do business again, but for a larger sum. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah. And, and the vendor gets greedy. And they're like, oh, this is, this is working out great. It's already worked once. Great. You kind of build that trust. Yeah, and then you take them out for all they have. Yeah, that's an interesting one. You, you is had, that what the pigeon drop was? Yeah, it's kind of something like that. The pigeon drop was, um, it. an example is, let's say um, you're in a store, right? And you walk out of the store and you come to your car and there's some guy standing by your car and he, he there's like a little package or something on the ground. And he bends down and, and he says, oh, is this is this your car? And you're like, yeah. He goes, oh, is this your wallet or is this is this your bag? I just saw it here and I saw it on the ground and I thought it was yours because it's next to your car. And then you go, well, no, that's not mine because it's not yours. And then they open it and there's uh, what appears to be $30,000, you know, a ton of money in this thing. Yeah. And, um, and then there's like a note in it that says something like... Uh, uh, payoff money or bail money or whatever else, something that's just like not kind of non-traceable, maybe semi-legal yeah, yeah. or whatever. And then um, the mark is like, whoa, oh no, it's not mine. And then the guy that, the con that, that picked it up and that started this this con, his partner comes in. He's like, hey, I heard you guys found something. What'd you find? And then they're like, oh man, we found $30,000. And they talk about it. And then the the one of the marks says, oh, well, I, I uh, actually heard about something like this and and it's non-traceable money. We could just, we could each keep 10 grand. And, uh, but, you know, my, or one will like pretend to call his lawyer buddy and his lawyer will say something like, oh, okay, well, you need to keep the money together. You can't split it up for 30 days and if nobody claims it, then you guys can have it. Yeah. And so they'll say, they'll kind of talk between themselves and two guys are working together against the mark, but the guy doesn't know that the two guys are working together. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, we can't separate it. You know, let's, well, let's come back here and let's meet back here in 30 days and then we can split up the money. 
They're like, okay, well, one person needs to hold the money, and the, and the guys, one of the guys, like, well, I'll hold it, and then the other guy, so the other con says, no, no, I, I don't want you to hold it, I'll hold it, whatever, and then they end up kind of going back and forth, and they decide to let the mark hold it. Oh right? yeah, you hold this thirty thousand dollars for us, but man, I I, I, tr- I trust you, you're a good guy, but I don't know if I trust you all the way, you know. It, it, Maybe you you could give us some sort of collateral or something like that, just in case you you know to to help us out, just in case you run away with the money or whatever. I don't know you. Yeah. And so they'll say, "Is your bank nearby or whatever?" And then they'll say, "Well, how about you just give each of us like a thousand or two thousand dollars? It's just like a you know act of good faith." And then whenever, not, not out of the bag, not out of the bag, yeah. And you know, out of your bank account, yeah. And then we'll uh, we'll come back in thirty days, and then you know you can have that money back into your portion. Yeah. And then the the guy was like, oh, okay, all right, that sounds good. I mean, I'm going to hold $30,000, and I'm just going to give you guys a couple thousand dollars to kind of appease you. But then they do that, and then eventually the guy looks in, and it's either counterfeit money or it's fake or it's even like the first couple bills are real, but then underneath it it's just cut up uh, newspaper and stuff. And yeah. so it was just all freaking common. Anyway. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, that's... I had uh, You had mentioned one earlier that you got a call that was like, uh, hey dad yep. hey dad or whatever that is such a common one that gets so many people and a lot of people nowadays well not nowadays but every I guess always they try to prey on the people that are maybe more weak minded mm-hmm. or that the elderly mm-hmm. right people that um, aren't as familiar with technology right yep. some of these computer scam people will, will focus on the elderly because they don't know computers as well yeah and uh, one scam that I've always been aware of is is kind of like the grandma or grandpa scam, where they'll uh, the 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 scammer will find somebody's number, somebody who's older, significantly older, and um, they call them up, and the the grandma or grandpa answers, and, and then, you know they're like hello, and then the person on the phone goes, uh, grandma, grandma, is that you? And then they kind of pause, and then they and then the grandma goes, "What? Johnny, what? Who is, is that this? You? Yeah. yeah, Timmy, is that you? Yeah, it's me. It's it's Timmy. Yeah, it's Timmy. Yep. And then, oh, oh, Timmy, you know, you sound different. Well, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a walkie-talkie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just like, you know, and then and they're like, oh, Timmy, what can I do? You know, what's going on? And then and they say something like, well, I, I'm on vacation down in Mexico, and I got robbed, and I don't have any money. I can't get home. Can you, can you send me some money? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. How do you want me to send me the send you the money? Apple gift cards, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's the only currency they accept yeah, down here. Seriously, <laughs> or you know, so and, and and they'll 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 scam people in like and and, yeah. and grandma or grandpa or typically they sometimes they'll have a little bit of money and they're like, oh, okay, you know, how much do you need? Oh, I I just need like five hundred dollars as a plane ticket back, you know, and then I haven't eaten in two days. Maybe you know a, a, a you know thousand dollars would get me home, and then they'll send them the money. Yeah, and it's just like well, it's like elder basically that's elder abuse. But you know what? Uh, it's kind of similar to that. Is what's just huge right now is catfishing. Yeah, uh, tons of people. Which do this. I never, I guess I didn't really, I didn't really think of that yet at all in a s- scam sense. But well, if you that's think exactly about, what it's it exactly. Is. It's a con. It's a it's a it's a con. Artist. So explain what catfishing is. Yeah, right? so catfishing is when you have like somebody, you know, in whatever. Usually it's in foreign countries. They'll uh, contact an American. Lots of times it's a woman, but sometimes it's a man. There was a, yeah. there was a Notre Dame quarterback. I they'll, think they'll that, pretend to be something, someone yeah. else, 
There, there was an Notre Dame quarterback that famously yeah, got catfished catfish. by some guy. Yeah. And they had like this relationship over text message or whatever. Or Facebook or... Yeah, so I was reading this one about this lady who got catfished. And, and now all... And he was, the guy was like, oh, I'm going to come see you. I love you so much. So they basically pulled the heartstrings of these rich women that are single and older. Oh, come see me. Well, I got to get through customs and I need I need $2,000 to get through customs. Okay, I'll send you this. And then it, what didn't work out, oh, hey, I'm, I'm going to get my passport. I need $4,000. This one guy had gotten $400,000 out of this lady. Yeah. Because well, they think they're in love. She thinks they're in love. She, she thinks they're in love. And, and this guy's just talker. He's just pulling a long con, yeah. right? Well, I'm, I'm going like, to write you a poem, and then I'm going to ask you for this much money. Yeah. And so it's crazy how that's a major thing right now um, is, is the catfishing thing. And uh, the, let's see. I had one other one here. <clears throat> So this is a rainmaking. I like this one. So uh, rainmaking is a simple scam in which uh, the trickster promises to use their power or influence over a complex system to make it do something favorable for the mark. So classically, classically, this is this was promoting to make it rain. You know, kind of to make you know, like the farm or whatever. Uh, but more modern examples include getting uh, someone's app featured on the Apple Store. Or getting a, a a blue check mark, or obtaining pass marks in an un, in a university entrance exam, or obtaining a job, or a political, or a politician implying that they can use their influence to get a contract awarded to the mark. Uh, so the trickster was no act has no actual influence over the outcome, but if the favorable outcome happens anyway, they will then claim credit. If the event does not happen, of course, then the trickster may be able to claim that they need more money until it finally does. It sounds like uh like uh future tellers. Fortune tellers. Fortune yeah. tellers. Call tree 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 tree. Yeah. <laughs> she was indicted for being a scam artist, you know, yeah. Madam Cleo? Yeah. She was a uh, big on the TV back in the what was it early 2000s? Yeah, yeah, for late late, late 90s. 90s and uh yeah, she was she got busted cuz so, she was yeah, a scam. Yeah, send me more money and I'll you know, talk to your loved ones and <clears throat> Reach to the other side and talk to yeah. other ones. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I had come across one that was really interesting because this one's kind of like a new one. I looked up uh, new scams in 2022. And this I watched a video about this one guy that he said he almost fell for it. And so typically you get like scam emails or something like that that will have links in them that's like, oh, click this link or that'll have, uh, you know, you open the email and there'll be an attachment and you click on the attachment and then that's where you get viruses and all that kind of stuff. Well, it was just a basic email that was from a, uh, just a random email address, but it was a special kind of, I guess, because it didn't have any attachments or anything else. It wasn't, it, it went through the spam uh, folder and it, it just went right into the inbox. It didn't get caught by the spam or the junk folder. And so this email basically says it's a very well-worded email, professional-looking email, and um, it says, uh, it says your free, dis- your free subscription period is over and that your credit card is now going to be charged. And it's the day and age of subscriptions. And so if I sell an email, I'd be like, what, what did I... Kate, you know, Caitlin, did you, my wife, did you, did you subscribe to something like this? You yeah. know what's going on? And, um... So then at the bottom, it'll have, uh, if you have any questions, please call this number. And that'll be no attachments, no links, no anything. It's just, a, just an email. 
And so you're like, oh man, I don't want to get charged or whatever. And then, so you call the number and uh, a person answers the phone, a, a legitimate person answers the phone. And on the email, there's like a reference number or uh, for an account reference number. And you call the phone, somebody answers and says, oh, you know, thank you, Mr. Thomas, for for uh, for sticking with us and deciding. We're, we're so glad that you're enjoying the service and that you decided to, uh, con- to continue and to upgrade your subscription. And then you're like, oh, wait, wait, what is this for? I'm not... I didn't, I don't want to upgrade any subscription, you know, whatever. And they go, oh, oh, you don't? This is for, and they make up something, you know, the, the health services subscription that, you know, or this or that, or allied something or another, just make up some some random stuff. And then they'll say, well, I guess if you don't want to upgrade, then, um, you know, you just have to cancel the service, which I can help you do that today, right? We hate to lose you, but, you know, if you want to cancel the service, we'll do that. We, I can help you through that today. Sound yeah. at all disappointed. And you say, yeah, I, I, I want to cancel. I don't want don't charge me anything. And so the lady will say, okay, well, you know, I'll just walk you through it. Go to this website and they'll take you, you know, have you go to a website, um, something, something.us or whatever. And it's basically, it's a very nice website, but it has a, a little thing on it that has uh, unsubscribe. And you put your email in this box that says unsubscribe, put your email in, press unsubscribe. And then it takes you and it says, okay, put your account number in. And that's the account number that's on the email. You put your account number in, and then you press unsubscribe, and then it pops up, and uh, it has you. Da- it asks you to download an Excel file, and if you ask the person, well, you know, what's this file for? And they say, oh, well, we do, uh, we do digital signatures. All we need is just your signature to confirm that you want to cancel the subscription, and then that'll send it to us, and you know, you won't, you, your credit card won't be charged. Is it? Okay. All right. I mean, we're in a day and age digital, of digital of, of, subscri- yeah. of electric I, signatures and stuff. And as soon so as you open that Excel file, it's going to rip your computer. So, to shreds. so you download the Excel file, you open it up, and basically it's got all these macros built into yeah. it. That the second you open it up and you press allow macros, boom! The the Excel a macro is basically a, a programmable portion within Excel that can do different tasks. Excel will run out to the internet. It'll go to a bunch of different websites and a bunch and download a bunch of malware to your computer, and it it'll do you know malware or viruses or even ransomware where it'll lock down your whole computer and say you need to send us you know one bitcoin to get all your you know to get oh, your computer gosh. back or whatever or or you know you need to send us fifty you know hundred dollar Apple Amazon or <laughs> yeah. Amazon gift cards or something like that like wow <clears throat> that's crazy. And it's kind of smart too because it, it it's almost like they didn't they made you come to them yeah, yeah. to do it. Yeah, when I was at, when I was working a company once like there was a we, there was a guy that kind of made this joke thing and he made this macro this excel file that when you downloaded it he sent me he sent me he was like hey can you check this out and I looked at it and I so I downloaded it and the macro opened up it opened up like four different emails and sent a message to four people on my team saying I'm an idiot. Uh, and I was like, and I didn't even know it sent. I yeah. was just like, dude, there's nothing in this file. And then he's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and then like, I looked, and everybody's looking over me like, what? And then I looked at my sent box, my sent folder, and there was, and it, and it was the emails sent to four different people, four different email addresses on my team, and each and with the same message in each of those emails. And I'm like, dude, that's yeah, powerful. Like that is scary. How how you could yeah. do that? I mean, luckily one of those people and it weren't like. Uh, the president of the company or something oh, yeah. like that. Imagine like, if I sent a, uh, I said, Hey, check this out. This is, you won't believe what's inside this. And the president of the company says, Oh my gosh, opens it up. And then I sent out a message from his inbox 
to the entire company saying, hey, uh, we're doubling everybody's salary, you know? Yeah. Like, dude, I sent it to an all-company like email address or something like that from his inbox. That, yeah, that's pretty scary. And also, you'd be in hot water if you did that. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. So, uh, um, but yeah, that's an interesting scam. Uh, that's a... So let's talk about some people that have done some scams. Is it okay if I talk? Yeah, uh, go ahead. You go first. So I want to talk about one of the most famous uh, scammers, and this is uh, Charles Ponzi. <laughs> Ponzi. Charles Ponzi. So everybody's, lots of you may have heard of the Ponzi scheme. So let's talk. I want to talk about a little bit about this guy's history. He's got a crazy interesting history. So he's a, he was an Italian immigrant in 1903. He came to the U.S. looking for opportunity and jobs. Uh, he said, I, this is what he said, quote, I landed on in this country with $2.50 in cash and $1 million in hopes, and those hopes never left me, close quote. Uh, Charles Ponzi. Uh, so you got a job first at a bank. Uh, the bank eventually went bankrupt. Uh, so he kind of started to dabble in some of this darker side, some check forgery, some <clears throat> illegal smuggling, uh, he did serve a small stint in prison, but when he got out of prison, <clears throat> he hatched a new scheme, and this is kind of interesting how he got this. So uh, he got a letter from Spain, and in the letter, it introduced the letter introduced him to this system uh, of the international postal coupon system. So at the time, <clears throat> in nineteen eighteen, after the World War One, there was an uh, existed something called the international reply coupon. Now, these postal reply coupons allowed people in one country to pay for the postage of a reply to a correspondent in another country. So, <clears throat> IRCs is what they were known as, were priced at the cost of postage in the country of purchase, uh, but could be exchanged for stamps to cover the cost of postage in the country were redeemed. If the values were different, there was an arbitrage opportunity there. Um, so, the Pon- so, Ponzi would buy the idea is he would buy lower value coupons in Italy <clears throat> and then he would redeem them he would redeem the return coupons in the so let's just say he bought it for the equivalent of like 1 US dollar and then in Italy and then but in in whatever the currency is there and but then in the US those coupons are actually worth maybe 2 dollars and then so the idea is that he would then sell those coupons and then he would make that arbitrage difference of $1. Uh, so he'd make 100% profit. you do that with $10,000. Yeah, so you could make a lot of money. So uh, so there was, a, uh, there was actually a significant arbitrage opportunity there. So <clears throat> the idea is that he was wanted to exploit the system to buy massive quantities of postal coupons from countries with weak economic economies and render them and redeem them in uh, countries with... Uh, stronger economies. So Ponzi was looking for money to do this with, and he went down to a bank. Uh, he was denied. He went to many many friends and family first. So he promised friends that he could give them about a 50% return within 45 div- days. So uh, basically a doubling uh, within three months. Uh, this was pretty attractive when the banks had interest of only 5% annually. So he actually ran an article in the newspaper at one point, and he's like, oh, 50% return in this. And then like right below it was a bank ad that said 5% return on your on your thing. And so it really blew up. And it kind of started growing. Um, 
He started a company in 1920 called the Securities Exchange Company. In the first eight, in the first month, he had 18 people with a total of one thousand eight hundred dollars that they put in. Uh, He paid them promptly the next month with the newest set of investors. So he was paying out the interest that these people were making with the money that he was getting from new investors. He's what was it robbing Peter to pay Paul? Yep, exactly. That's exactly what it was. So his scam secured over 40,000 investors, making him a millionaire in less than six months. An article published by the Boston Post on you know, in July of 1920 estimated that his net worth was around $8.5 million. He had a 12-bedroom house, mansion, multiple cars, houses, staff, and so was he not act, was he not actually doing the arbitrage? He was just he was just taking the people's money and no, then, so, okay. Yes, right, I'll get okay. to that in a second. And he also had a gold-handed cane. Uh so news so like their news began to travel uh and he, the, about this scheme and, and he hired a whole sales team. It was kind of like the Wolf of Wall Street. He hires a bunch of sales folks to go out and do this. The clientele went from like blue-collar workers to like high class people. There was one guy who put in like ten thousand dollars on his own. So that was a lot of money back then. Uh, at one point, seventy five percent of the Boston police force was invested in this. And most people, what they were doing is that when they got paid out their interest, they would just reinvest again. Well, he just doubled my money. I'm going to double it again. You know, he's making me rich. But they put it back in. They would always just put it back in, put it back in, put it back in. Nobody was taking profits. And so the major problem is, if you have tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars coming in and you have to go buy postal coupons that are dirt cheap or that are like super cheap and then you have to resell them in the U.S. What kind of an issue do you see there? The logistics of actually getting all the postal coins, postal oh, oh, coupons Oh, yeah, I guess across. it's not digital. It's all yeah. physical. So the, the, for his initial investment of 1800 he would have had to resell 53000 postal coupons to realize uh, the arbitrage profits. So he didn't have a way to actually sell those. I mean, like, yes, and and it's maybe small quantities, it's easy, but at the scale that he was doing, there was no way that he could actually realize that. And it said that uh, for his subsequent 15,000 investors, uh, he would have had to fill a titanic-sized ship with coupons to ship them from the U.S. to Europe. Oh, jeez. and so the margins were there, but like the, the the logistics and like actually selling these things was just not viable uh, at that vo- volume. So there was kind of a tipping point where the, uh, this is an interesting kind of kind of slow burnout here, where the boss there was a Boston financial writer suggested that there was no way Ponzi could give those kinds of returns. He was sued. This writer was sued by Ponzi and won. A five hundred thousand dollars suit against this guy, <laughs> and then for uh, defamation because the burden of the burden of proof was on the writer, and the writer couldn't prove anything. So um, this solved the problem for Ponzi for a little bit of time. Uh, there was a a light run on the company at that time, where people were you know curious how he went from. They were like, "Well, this guy was penniless basically months ago, and now he's a millionaire." So there was a light run on the on the thing, and after uh, several. 
like the, what would happen is they would have these light runs. People would run in and say, hey, like we want our money. We want our, he's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm going to get you your money right now. Come up to the thing. Here, let's get you your money back. Here's your money right here. And he's like, hey, let's get some donuts in here. Get some coffee. And everybody's starting to feel good. He's like, hey, you know, here's your money. Here's your money. He'd pay out some people. And then other people would be like, well, maybe, maybe I'm overreacting because he would, he would con him. He's a confidence man. And he would ca- talk to him and say, hey, you know, this is fine. Here's your money. You look. And then people say, oh, look, that guy's getting paid out right there. If I want my money, I can get paid out. He just got paid out. He just got paid out. Maybe I'll just keep my money in. And this happened several times. Um, uh, so there was eventually, uh, there were several news articles that came out, and they realized that he was borrowing millions of dollars from the bank to keep the scheme afloat. So he initially had put all of his money within one bank, and at the time, because you had so much money with the bank, you essentially became like a shareholder of that bank, and he became basically a majority shareholder in some of these banks, and he was raiding their coffers and loans to pay for the scheme. And so when this happened, it almost caused like a, a financial meltdown in the area. Uh, he crashed five banks uh, in addition to the Hanover Trust, which is where he was primarily with. So Ponzi's investors were practically wiped out, uh, receiving less than 30 cents to the dollar uh, of uh, you know, what they had put in. They saw their financial pictures all but destroyed. They lost about $20 million in $1920, which is about $196 million in $2020. Now, listen to this. Compared to Bernie Madoff, his Ponzi scheme uh, that collapsed in 2008 cost his investors about $18 billion. 53 times the losses of Ponzi scheme. So Bernie Madoff Madoff was basically a, it was a Ponzi scheme, but that he was doing. Yeah, he was doing a Ponzi scheme. Bernie Madoff was doing the same thing. Uh, And so. Except for it was with today's money or, you know, several years ago money and then uh, large Wall Street investors, right? Yeah. Sorry, what was that? It was like uh, large Wall Street investors and stuff that he was doing yeah. it with. Yeah, well, he was doing it with lots of people, lots of big wig dealers uh, up there. And so this guy, you know, he, so he got, but the interesting is like, what was the punishment? Okay, so he was indicted by the feds on mail fraud for sending letters to his marks telling them their notes had matured. So what's interesting about a lot of these schemes that I looked into is they get you, th- they get you on things like mail fraud, wire fraud, like larceny it's just like these things that are just kind of just little sticking things like if you ever commit a scam don't do it through the mail (laughs) (laughs) uh he served three and a half years in prison for this he got out and was immediately charged by the state the state charged him with larceny larceny is basically a crime involving unlawful taking or theft of personal property of any persons or business so he appealed this to the supreme court saying hey this is double jeopardy I'm being tried twice for it. And they for said, the same crime. I said, well, actually, this isn't the same crime. You were indicted for mail fraud. You were charged with mail fraud from the sta- from the feds. And then the state's charging you for larceny. So he then served three more years in jail after that. So remarkably, during his various prison terms, Ponzi continued to receive Christmas cards from some of his go- more gullible investors as, as well as requests from others to have him manage and invest their money from prison. I'm pretty sure there's probably people that did make some money. I mean, if you if you got your payout, you know, your 50% whatever increase, and then you didn't put back in, then there's probably some people that did make money. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, but the but that's part of the confidence. But the whole thing was a, yeah. was a scheme, you know. Uh, the uh, then so when he got out of prison, he goes to Florida, and he starts selling swamp land, promising, uh, in like the I think it was the Tampa Bay area, promising oh two hundred percent return on your money in sixty days. So uh, he got busted for that. Ended up serving seven years in prison for that. Um, and basically everybody was like, deport this guy back to Italy. Like we don't want this guy here. So before he got deported back, he he was said to the press, I went looking for trouble and I found it. <laughs> and so they deported him back to Italy and then he later made his way to Brazil. Uh, and in Brazil, he basically died very poor in a charity hospital in 1949. He stated, even if they never got anything for it, it was cheap at the price, at that price. Without malice aforethought, I had given them the best show that was ever staged in their territory since the landing of the Pilgrims. It was easily worth 15 million bucks to watch me pull that thing over. <laughs> so, kind of crazy. You know, there's one thing that's like, once a con man, always a con man. And this guy was, basically did the whole thing his whole life. Yeah. Uh, he was just con, con, con. Uh, so, maybe that's not true for every case, but it, it certainly was the case for him. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that's like such a wide known thing. Is it like talk about common? Oh, it's a Ponzi scheme. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I had one here. I, I had two stories, but the first one is is, is a little bit shorter. Um, so it, it's a guy named uh, uh, Frank Abagnale. Uh, it's the guy the the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, Catch Me If You Can. It's based off that guy. Um, so, and actually, a story to go along, one of the reasons why I did this story was that actually we had a conference at work where he came and gave like a public speech to everybody and it was kind of like an entertainment slash future thing. So you'll see here why in a second. So he was a very charming and persuasive guy. Uh, he could talk his way in and out of any situation and it was the confidence that he had that he just, for some reason, people just trusted him. And... Um, he started doing, um, some things in his younger years and his teens that he, he was uh, doing some, some check fraud stuff and kind of got good at a couple things and he got good at forgeries and stuff like that. So eventually he ended up posing as an airline pilot for Pan Am and, uh, ended up flying, you know, all around the world as this fake airline pilot. He had fake, uh, uh, credentials. He, what he was doing is he would, um, first he started off, um, create like making these fake checks and he would make these fake checks and he would pretend he was a pilot and he would go into the, to the office and have them, um, uh, cash these checks for him. And as he, as if he was a pilot and then he just got deeper and deeper and deeper and then he actually started like flying these planes and he actually started doing these things. And Did he actually fly the planes? I, I, I thought I, he just flew deadhead the Well, the maybe. Time. I don't know if he was actually like the captain of these, but I think there was a couple situations where he had to do some things. I, I don't know exactly the whole... Uh, but basically, he was conning them into thinking that he was a pilot. Yeah. Um. So he collected checks that way, forged checks that way for years. And then he actually... Uh, he, he posed as a uh, pediatrician in a hospital for almost a year and collected a salary in this hospital as a pediatrician, as like a head pediatrician over the entire ward <laughs> for a year. And he, was, he wasn't was even a doctor. I mean, it was just <laughs> like he, he, he conned his, his way and forged his way into that position. 
And then he was just getting much. It was like he was just figuring stuff out he wanted to do. Yeah. And he just having people pay stuff for, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if anybody got hurt or whatever. So, would you have some? Uh, I was gonna say one interesting thing about the the Pan Am thing. I, I I remember that story and when he how he got the badge. So he would like went on like an internship or like a a, a shadow day as like an intern. He took a bunch of notes about everything and then he said, okay. He called up a company and said, hey. I am from Pan Am, and I am looking to uh, revamp our badge system. Uh, can you tell me, uh, can I come in and see what badges you guys can offer us? And the guy's like, yeah, sure, come on in. So he went to the company that prints the badges, uh, and he's like, yeah, so this is the different styles that we can do, this and this and this. And he's like, well, what, what do we do? Can you, can you give me one that we have currently? He's like, yeah, this is your current model. And he's like, can I keep this? And he's like, yeah. So he, he kept that. And yeah. he put his own picture on it, and that was how he got it. And they believed him the whole time. And I was like, man, that's crazy. Yeah. So this guy actually came in. So eventually um, he, he got tracked down by the FBI. The FBI c- caught him uh, after he, he got captured. He, after several escapes from capture, um, he then pled guilty and, and accepted a reduced sentence for... Um, basically helping the FBI to uh, help them catch other people that are doing similar things. And he actually ended up becoming a security consultant for the FBI and ended up teaching at like Quantico and like all these different places um, and Langley and stuff like that, teaching forgery and security and all these different types of things. So this guy came into our to, our, to the work. He's like, I don't know, maybe in the sixties now. And he was just telling us stories and telling us different cons that he had done, and and obviously he was like remorseful and regretful what yeah, he yeah. did. But he's, he 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 said he he hopes that he's paid back his dues at this point. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that was really funny that he said that he did was he when he was like 16 years old he opened a bank account at the the local credit union or the local bank wherever he was, and he went into the bank and he had to deposit like a five dollar check or something like that into his account. And so he went up to the counter and he told the lady, you know, I need to deposit this check into my account. And the lady said, okay, we'll go over to that table over there and take a deposit slip, put your account number at the bottom of it, and then just put your check with it and hand it to me and I'll put it in your account. And he was like, okay. And so he said he went over there and then and he did it and then they put the money in his account. So he came in the next day and he went over to the table where they had all the deposit slips and he just took like a whole sleeve of deposit slips took those back to his house, and then on his dad's typewriter, he typed his account number into the bottom uh, spaces where the account number goes (laughs) into the deposit slip. Uh And then he took those deposit slips back to the bank the next day, and he mixed them in all with all of the other ones that were there. Uh And then he said, for months and months and months, I would just get random deposits into my account. Oh my gosh. Because people that weren't paying attention or whatever, they just went and grabbed a deposit slip. It had my account number on it. They'd put their check with it and they'd just give it to the cashier. Yeah. And because it was typewritten in there, not handwritten, it looked official. And so he was like, I was having people were depositing their checks <laughs> into my account for months. That's hilarious. And then I guess he ended up getting caught or something like that or, or he pulled the money out and just kind of walked away from it or... You know, I can't remember what he said happened, but yeah, it's wild, interesting scam. Yeah, there's a. I'm gonna talk about this other guy here, uh, Eduardo de uh, uh, Valfierno. 
So Valfierno paid, this is kind of a legend. Uh, this happened in uh, the 1900s. But Valfierno uh, paid several men to steal the work of art from the, uh, f- from the Louvre, including museum employee uh, Vicento Perugia uh, on April, August 20, 21st, 1911. So Perugia hid the Mona Lisa under his coat and basically and walked out, simply walked out the front door. He was one of the, the employees there. So before this heist took place, Valfierno, who was the con man, uh, commissioned French art restorer and forger uh, to make six copies of the Mona Lisa. So the forgeries were then shipped around the world, ready to readying them for buyers he had lined up. Uh, so he told people, I'm going to steal the Mona Lisa and I'll sell it to you. So he knew that once the Mona Lisa was actually stolen, it would be harder to smuggle copies past customs. So after... The heist, the copies were delivered to the buyers, each thinking they had the original, which had been stolen from the, for them. So because Valfierno wanted to sell forgeries, he only needed the original Mona Lisa to disappear and never contacted Perugia again after the crime. So he had the employee walk out with the Mona Lisa, and that's all he needed. He didn't need the Mona Lisa. He just needed the Mona Lisa to be gone so that the so that other people would think, other people would I got say, the Mona oh, Lisa. Oh, dude, this is it because this guy said he's going to steal it. Now it's stolen, and he said, this is it. I, and so he sold like five of these copies to uh, other people. So I think that's a, that's a, that's a really – because he conned, he conned the buyers, and he conned the good dude who stole it, and he didn't need the Mona Lisa anyway. The only action that he needed was that Mona Lisa to be stolen, mm-hmm. and that was it. And then it, that was enough to sell these these yeah. cons. Even if they recovered it, yeah, they would be like, "Oh, is that the real one? Or yeah. do I have the real one?" Or you know, it's yeah. like. So I thought that was a really interesting con that was that was done um, uh, by this guy. So that was that was a cool one. I, uh, I I've got a last uh, last one here that's kind of interesting. So this is the story of Gregor McGregor. Conor McGregor? Not Conor McGregor. Oh, okay. Gregor McGregor. <laughs> and uh, so Gregor McGregor was a Scottish sailor and adventurist who was an officer in the British Army during the Peninsular War and, and the Venen- Vene- Venezuela War of Independence. Oh. So um, this was like the early 1800s, 1810, 1815, somewhere around there. So... He, uh, he actually quickly advanced in ranks and actually made it to the rank of general and f- spent several years fighting uh, the Spanish for uh, the English. But he, was, he spent all of his time fighting the Spanish in, in and around northern um, South America, Central America, Honduras is where he spent a lot of his time. And so uh, upon his return to England in 1821, he claimed that the king of Honduras had named him the cacique, which is like the king of a country named uh, Poye. And <laughs> so he came back, he told everybody in, New, in, in, in England that, you know, the, the king of Honduras made me the, the cacique of Poye. And and they're like, well, what's Poye or whatever? And so he described Poye is a is a developed colony, English colony, and a community of British settlers. Uh, he claimed that the land was a beautiful and fertile land; that there was fish and game, abundant fish and game. It was beautiful all year round, never too hot, never too cold. 
Um, he he said that there was a, a democratic government in Poirier and that there was a British community and there was bustling and growing business and that it was such an amazing place. There was even, you could even find gold in the rivers. Right, he was telling all these people. Oh, these that things. sounds like an amazing. It sounds like California. <laughs> yeah. So then, what did he start doing? He uh, he started going to English and French nobles and basically any investor that he could find, anybody who wanted any, you know, wanted something, and he started selling them deeds of of land. Oh, really? Plots of land in Poyer to uh, to these people and promising you know not only that they could move there and grow and everything else the locals will will actually build you a house when you get there and all this different kind of stuff and it's this growing community and Mm -hmm. it's amazing he even went as far to he had drawn up maps of the town maps of the country of the city he had drawn uh, landscape and portraits painted by professional artists and stuff like that that this is what it looks like you know he had a currency printed by this like the 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 scottish printing company like the biggest in the area (laughs) he had poye currency printed that people before they before they would leave on their journey they would trade their gold and their english money for this uh, poye money and uh, he had military uniforms sewn. He had flags and everything for the country. Um, he would even sing uh, the songs of their independence and everything okay. in the streets and at the bars and all sort of kind of stuff. And so he had he had official decrees from this as proof and and ballots for voting stuff. And he got a lot of people. So he got a lot wow. of people to buy plots. So in 1822, he. He sent off this this ship of uh, the first settlers to Poye, mm-hmm. right? The first settlers n- now. Yeah, yeah. Right, and so they had they went they went on the ship and it was in the harbor and he uh, went on the ship in the harbor and was like, you know, thank you everybody, you're gonna get to Poye, you're gonna love it, it's gonna be amazing. Now, uh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna hang back this time, but I'll be on the next ship over. So you guys go ahead, mm-hmm. right? And so they leave. Six months later. He sends another, sh- and this the ship is like flying the Poye flag and all this different kind of stuff, like b- big official stuff. Yeah. Um, and then six months later, uh, he he uh, charters another ship, and he says, "Oh, this this is the actually he says uh, this ship is the the largest ship to go to Poye. Um, I uh any women or children that are traveling on this ship, they get to travel for free. Only the men pay the charter, you know, and everything else." And uh, 200 people were on this ship. And so it was this big old ship out in the harbor and everything. And he, he rowed his boat out to the harbor and he stood on the ship or out to the ship. And he was like, hey, you know, I'm going to be on the next ship right there going there <laughs> to, with you. And so he sends them off and they all go off. and Or he rows back to the shore and sends them off. So uh, when the first ship arrived, there were, uh, they were a little bewildered at what happened because they arrived to the beach and of what country Honduras basically it was around the Honduras area they didn't know exactly where they were going but uh, they arrived to the beach and um, it was just jungle and uh, come to find out everything was made up everything was made up there was no poya there was no country there was no, the king of Honduras didn't even know what was going on I mean he knew this guy from all of the battles and stuff but 
He didn't know. So these people got there. The first, the 20 people got there and they were like, Oh, what's going on? And, and, um, it was just, it was inhospitable, untamed jungle. That's all it was. And even to this day, it's still like the area that they had landed is still completely inhabitable. No way. Um, so the captain that had of the first ship that had uh, sailed them, the, these 20 uh, settlers there, he kind of, he it says he came to the private conclusion that McGregor must have duped them. <laughs> and so he didn't want to announce it to everyone because he didn't want to cause like some mass mutiny or something, whatever. So basically what he did a few weeks after their arrival, um, he just got back on the ship and just left. No way. <laughs> Yeah, oh gone. My gosh. He just left, left the people there. Wow. And there was some natives there that they had kind of grouped up with and stuff, but uh, he just sailed away. Um, then the next ship got there, and same thing. They came, it came to the jungle, and there was nothing there. There was no city. There was no nothing. There was no people. It was just these natives that were there, and like, why is all these people coming here? So uh, eventually... Um, these people, they, they tried to, they made their way back to, um, to England because there was nothing there for them. And so many of them had invested their whole life savings into buying plots of land that a country didn't even exist, given to this guy. Um, only 50 people out of the 270 people that sailed there, only 50 people made it back to England. Wow. Over 180 people had died. Um, maybe some people stayed there, but over 180 people died of either, uh, um, they had died of exposure. They had died of diseases. They had died of uh, malaria. They got malaria really bad. Um, even some of them died from suicide just because they like had lost everything. All hope. Um, so rounding it out here, this guy, uh, Gregor McGregor, right? He was... He wasn't tried in England um, in courts because there was still people that were like supporting him. The people that were there, they kept saying, "Oh, well, it wasn't McGregor's fault. It was the the expeditionist. They dropped us dropped us off in the wrong spot." Right? Oh they were gosh. they were so convinced. The con was so strong that they still thought that there was a country poye somewhere out there that that the captains had just dropped them off in the wrong spot. Yeah. And so there was a French court that tried McGregor um, and uh, they tried him for fraud in 1826 uh, after he attempted a second scheme that was similar to this one. Um, But he was eventually acquitted of all charges and um, he lived in London for the next 10, 12 years then he eventually, in 1838, he moved to Venezuela, where he was welcomed back with open arms and as a victor, you know, of, of Venezuela, because he was part of the independence uh, war of, of Venezuela. And he died in, in Venezuela in 1845, and he was buried with full military honors and as a king, you know. Oh, my gosh, man. Yeah. That's so wild. But I think it's, I think the lesson here is that, you know, even the people, when you've been duped, it's very hard to admit that you've been duped. It's a pride thing. Uh, like for sure. we talked about right before the episode, there was one. There's this one guy who he called up these bunch, and this is like the 1800s. He called up a bunch of people uh, in France, uh, scrap metal people, saying, "Hey, I'm a government official. We're gonna scrap the uh, because of X and X. All this stuff is going on. We're gonna scrap 
the Eiffel Tower, and we want to maybe do a, a backdoor deal with you uh, to get you to you you guys can take the scrap metal. And he's like, oh yeah. And then he made like seventy thousand dollars off of one company doing this. This or, or Frank's or, or whatever you want, whatever it was in time. But um, and the guy the didn't said, even report. Oh, yeah. we'll, we'll pay you. We'll pay you seventy thousand dollars yeah. for the Eiffel Tower so that we can scrap it and yeah. make and make millions potentially. But and then he was so ashamed. That and then he was so ashamed that he never reported it because he knew he knew he got duped because obviously they weren't. And then he was like, "Oh shoot!" And that was kind of an under the table deal anyway, because it was kind of you know corrupt for him to do that. And so uh, he was like, "So they never reported it." So a lot of times people were just or they they they're so unwilling to admit that they were wrong that they they just had to keep going with the lie. Yeah, well, I think we see a lot of that right right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you, in. yeah. It's your you, you get so fixated on believing something that it doesn't matter what changes your your mentality. Your your fixation is still on. I could not have been wrong. This is this cannot be wrong. And so you just hold on to that because if you admit that you were wrong, then it, all your pride is gone. I mean, it's yeah. just like uh, maybe yeah. I won't go into details, but maybe. <laughs> Fauci said I wasn't supposed yeah. to get it if I got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So there's so many examples of this. I was actually just thinking there was one crazy story about this New York socialite, this girl that came into New York, and she was basically a nobody, but she started claiming that her dad was a billionaire and that she was so rich, and she basically got to stay at like these rich hotels only on her word that her dad was some bigwig billionaire. And she like got in these circles of these rich people and she got them to give her money and all this kind of stuff. And it was like this really fascinating story about how this girl wiggled her way in. She's just some girl from like Ohio. Uh, that's the most plain place I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> the Midwest. <laughs> but uh, she went and duped everybody, man. So it's that confidence game you got to watch out for. I guess the lesson is if it seems too good to be true, Maybe you better check it out a little bit further. Maybe yeah, that is. was that was the first thing I wrote on here at the very top. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so watch, so watch your back. Oh yeah, I actually I'm gonna change my favorite uh, con man in the movies to Better Call Saul. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's so, he's so great. Uh, great show by the way. Last season's coming up in April. So really. Uh, all right. Well, thanks everybody for joining today. We've had some great conversations. Uh, we can talk for about this because it's an interesting topic. But uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, we appreciate your uh, your continued support. And uh, if you feel like you like the episode, please leave us a review. We'd appreciate that and and interact with us on our social media. So their links are in the in the show to, the show notes. Yeah, we love hearing from you. So let's build that creed together. Let's do it. <laughs>